Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. So I want to share with you right at the start, I've got a main point that I'm trying to make this morning and then a big question. Here it is. The main point that I'm trying to make is that baptism is a significant moment in a disciple's life, but it's not the end of the journey. It is a significant moment, but it's not the end of the journey. So that begs the question, what happens next? Where do we go from here? What's after that moment of baptism? And so we're going to read out of Luke chapter 3 and 4 this morning. I invite you, if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, uh, you can gladly do so. I'm going to start in Luke chapter 3. I want to read to you verses 21 and 22. And then I'm going to go to Luke chapter 4. I am going to skip over the genealogy, not because the genealogy isn't amazing. It is amazing. Uh, But for today's purposes, I want to show you something else in Luke chapter 4. So, read along with me if you'd like. Luke chapter 3, 21 and 22. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now moving to chapter 4, says this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was very hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live off of bread alone. Then the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all of the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you just worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. What a passage of scripture. Again, our big question, what happens next after baptism? So I would like to talk to you about the door of humility. There's a church in Israel, in the city of Bethlehem, called the Church of the Nativity. And many people travel to see it because it's a beautiful building, amazing architecture. However, there's one seemingly bizarre feature about this church. It's the door. This door isn't famous because of its grandeur. It's actually famous for its lack thereof. It's been titled the door of humility and it stands a modest five feet tall. And I read an article this week regarding this door that sums it up better than I could hope to. So I'm just gonna read to you just a small portion of what this article said. And I quote, one of the first things that challenges pilgrims as they visit the Basilica of the Nativity in Bethlehem is the main entrance of the church. A small rectangular doorway less than five feet in height, the door of humility. 
In order to pass through this door, pilgrims and visitors are forced to bow down as they enter the church. The fact that the pilgrims and visitors have to bow down in order to enter the Basilica of the Nativity has a, has a theological significance. We must humble ourselves in order to approach God. That's an interesting idea, isn't it? You know, so we took the liberty this week, construction begins, we are going to lower every entrance of our church to five feet. Good news is, friends like uh, Kyle Shepard won't be bothered by this. He could just walk straight underneath. You think, oh, that's mean. Make, make a short joke, Kyle Shepard. Okay, the man has pied me publicly. And to add, he's made me eat a hard-boiled egg with the shell on publicly. Okay, so he had it coming. What a good reminder, though. It's a physical reminder of our deep need for humility. The purpose of the door is to humble everyone that walks underneath it. So today we're celebrating baptism. And I would like to suggest that baptism has a similar effect. Entering into the waters of baptism requires humility. At baptism, there is a high bar that's set before us. It's a high calling set by God. Don't you agree? I'll, I'll show you. what is. These are the questions that are asked to the people getting baptized today. Question number one, do you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is your Lord, that he died and rose again for your sins? That's the first question. The second one is, do you acknowledge that you are living for him and will continue to do so for the rest of your life? Oh, those are weighty words. We have 21 people this weekend who are making that promise to Jesus. And no doubt we have countless others, hundreds of others in this room that have made that same promise. There is a high bar at baptism, but there's also a low calling in baptism, meaning that if you intend to follow Jesus and actually live up to that, it will require humility. That is not an option. Look at this verse that we've talked about so often as a church. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Note that baptism is stated at the beginning of Jesus' instructions left for us. It's almost as if baptism is acting as that door of humility. Everyone who goes through those waters must bow their knee to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. To be clear, we don't earn salvation by baptism. We're saved by faith. Ephesians 2 is very clear on that. However, for those that are saved, it's interesting that one of the first command that Jesus gives is that we are to be baptized. That's humbling, or at least that should be humbling if we truly understand the significance of baptism. Here's the thing that I found interesting. I watched some clips of people entering into this church into the church at Bethlehem, and they would go through the door, and you know what I noticed almost every time without fail? They'd stop, and they'd take a picture, okay? They'd say, you know, I'm not trying to pick on anyone, but that's just what phones have done to us now. Every moment that we have in our life has to be photographed or it didn't exist, right? So everyone approaching this door of humility stops. Interestingly, most of them had iPads. I don't know who takes photos with iPads, but okay. Anyway, that's the side note. Um, they stop and they take pictures, and it's almost like it's like, uh, yeah, here, I just want to show you this picture of the door of humility. In case you were wondering if I'm humble or not, I've got this picture. 
Like I went through the door of humility, just so you know. Okay, I would probably take a picture too. If I was there, it's, it's pretty cool, it's pretty unique. But I wonder if we sort of start to lose the significance of the door and what it's trying to communicate to us if we turn it into a spectacle. I wonder if we start to lose the significance of what the door is supposed to teach us if it just turns into a photo in a picture album somewhere. Here's the thing, baptism is a one-time event in a believer's life, most times. And it's usually uh, very unique and special. However, the choice to follow Jesus and identify yourself with his life, his death, and his resurrection, and our response to that choice being to forsake our own rights and to choose to live for him for the rest of our lives, that is a daily choice. So here's my point. If we reduce baptism down to a checklist, this is just something that believers just need to check off their spiritual to-do card, or if we reduce it down to just, here's a picture of me, I was baptized once, I'm in the club, right? We're gonna lose the point of baptism. Is it wrong to take pictures of baptism? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But I just hope that baptism never becomes a spectacle in the church. Just something that we go, oh, that was fun, and we move on, because we're gonna miss the point. You see, baptism is a doorway but there's a journey that needs to be continued on the other side of it. And it's for that reason, church, that I believe that public baptism is significant, not only for those that are being baptized, but also to those who are witnessing the event. Those who are in this room today that have already been baptized, or those who are in this room that are trying to decide, should I get baptized or not? I believe that this is an important thing that we do as a church because it reminds us of our deep need for humility before a holy God. Baptism is a doorway. So, now we're gonna move to from the waters to the wilderness. It's significant to me that Jesus was baptized. So let's start by looking at that account again, but I'm not gonna spend a ton of time here because what I want to get to now is our big question. What comes next? But look at this verse, Luke chapter 3, 21 to 22. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, the heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. This was a big moment for Jesus. In fact, this was sort of like his entrance into public ministry. And it was marked by a miraculous event. A holy confirmation, the audible voice of God confirming Messiah is here. So it was significant. And you might be wondering, why did Jesus get baptized? Scripture is abundantly clear that Jesus was sinless. Jesus was the spotless lamb. That's very important for us to remember. So unlike us, Jesus didn't need to repent. Hebrews 4, verse 15. There's, there's different verses I could have chosen, but Hebrews 4, 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with us in our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. That's the point. Jesus can empathize with us, but he did not sin. So why is it significant then that Jesus was baptized? 
Here's a few things that I jotted down that I think we could learn from this. Number one, it shows that Jesus was humble. The king of kings bowed his head, walked through the same doorway as you and I. It also shows us that Jesus was obedient and lived in submission to the Father. If you want to go and look in Matthew's account of the baptism, John kind of put up a little bit of a protest. Uh, shouldn't you be baptizing me? And Jesus, what did he say? It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus was obedient and lived in submission to God. And it also shows us that Jesus intended to leave us an example to follow. Baptism is part of the way of Jesus. It's part of his life practice. More than teaching alone, Jesus came to model a lifestyle that included baptism. But now we've come to something very important that I want us all to take note of. What comes after Jesus' baptism? That's our big question. Luke 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. I take uh, some comfort from that verse, although after four hours, I'm hungry. And Jesus, after 40 days, just casually, by the way, he was hungry. Oh, good. I'm glad that he can relate to me on that. If baptism is a doorway, Jesus shows us something that is on the other side of that doorway. As he steps through, he comes into the wilderness. The wilderness. Do you find that somewhat odd? because I do. Jesus just received this massive public confirmation and endorsement from his father. Everyone else heard it, and where's the first place that the Spirit leads him? To obscurity. To be alone. To be in need. I find that odd. I think that's so backwards from how you and I often think. I mean, I would think after this big moment, let's ride that momentum. Let's go right to the biggest stage that we can find. Jesus is here. Let's do this. But that's not how the Holy Spirit operates. The Holy Spirit chose the first move. Let's go to the wilderness. So how many high school students and young adults do I have in the room this morning? Uh, okay, make a little noise. I need that. Thank you. I feel better about myself. Thank you so much. Okay. So how many were you, uh, of you were at camp? Okay, awesome. So here's the question. Jesus is inviting you and I to join him in the, in the wilderness. We spent our time at camp this year focusing on that truth, that Jesus is inviting you and I, his disciples, his apprentices, to join him in the wilderness. And if you can remember, there we had a camp theme verse, which was Luke 5.16. I'm going to read that. I usually am quoting out of the NIV. This one is out of the NASB 1995. Because <laughs> it's uh, cool to quote obscure like that. So um, Luke 5.16 says this, though. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Let me ask you, what do you find yourself often slipping away to? Is it to the wilderness to pray? Or is it to a quiet place where you can check your phone? One example to give. You can learn a lot by what you slip away to. Jesus chose to slip away to the wilderness to pray. This wasn't an isolated account in his life. 
Throughout the Gospels, you find many examples of Jesus stepping out of the demands of ministry or the rhythms of the world around him, much to many people's bewilderment, to retreat into the wilderness. The wilderness played a significant role in his life and in his mission, and it should in our lives as well. We are apprentices after all, so certainly, Jesus did enter the public sphere. Jesus did go on to speak in front of large crowds, but before going there, he went to the wilderness because the wilderness prepared Jesus for what he did in his public ministry. There was, uh, there's a reason why Jesus calls you and I to join him in the, in the wilderness, and I'm gonna summarize why I believe that is in just two words. That's all we have time for this morning, if we have time for that. All right. Submission and formation. If you want to write those two words down, I believe that this answers our big question, what comes next? Submission and formation. So let's look at number one, submission. The purpose of the wilderness is submission. Jesus was brought into the wilderness to be tested, okay? And here's the thing that we need to note. He passed. Unlike Adam... And unlike anyone after him, born with sinful natures, Jesus comes on the scene, he's brought into the wilderness to be tested, and he passed. I wish I had a time that I could unpack some of these tests that Jesus faced in the wilderness. I won't have time for that. But let's see what we can learn from this passage. Take note of who's leading in this passage. It says this in Luke 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So what we can learn is it was the Holy Spirit that drew Jesus into that wilderness space. It was the Holy Spirit that led the way. Jesus was modeling submission by saying yes to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in his life. And we should take note of that. If Jesus modeled submission we should model submission as well. Hebrews 5, 7, one of my favorite verses says this, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up many prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Jesus was a master of submission. And I love a quote from last week Pastor Stephen made. So I'll rephrase it for my own sermon today. If we can't be masters of submission, hopefully we can be apprentices under the master of submission. Hopefully we can find our inspiration by looking to the Son of God, who paved the way, left, left us an example to follow. And I love this verse. I love it because it shows us just a little window into Jesus' prayer time. What did it look like when Jesus spent time with the Father? What did it look like when the Son of God prayed? Well, it says that he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears, passionate prayer, submitted prayer. But I want you to notice what happens afterwards in our passage this morning, after as the devil begins to tempt Jesus. So now the testing is going to begin. And notice what it says now in verse five. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all of the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all of their authority and splendor. It has been given to me 
and I can give it to anyone I want to. What a liar. What a liar. If you worship me, it will all be yours. You see, the Spirit isn't the only one interested in leading in this passage. The devil's quite happy to get into the equation. Oh, I'll try to do some leading as well. So what can we learn? Where did the Spirit lead Jesus to? The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. The Spirit led Jesus into submission, into a low posture, into humility. He led Jesus into 40 days of prayer and fasting. The Spirit led Jesus into slow, challenging work, fervent cries and tears. And where did the devil lead Jesus? Well, it says that the devil led Jesus to a high place, to gaze upon the kingdoms of the world and all of their power, all of their splendor, all of their authority, and this is what he offered to him in an instant. You see, the devil offers us a low bar and claims to give us high reward. He says, oh, the bar is so easy, you just step right over it and you're gonna get everything that you want. However, God calls us to a high bar that will require a low position, aka humility. That's the difference between God and the enemy. Well, and not to mention that the enemy's a liar. He isn't gonna make good on any of his promises. He always overpromises and underdelivers. Here's the important truth. The life of a disciple doesn't just begin with humility and submission. It is sustained by humility and, and submission. True submission requires humility. You can get compliance without humility, but you can't get submission without humility. True submission requires humility, and humility will lead to obedience. And here's the warning. The devil will seek to lead you and I off of the path of submission. Those getting baptized this morning, just listen for one moment. The devil is going to try to lure you off of the path by offering you anything other than submission. He is going to offer you ease and comfort and power if only you just come out under God's thumb and worship him. So here's the question, which voice are you gonna listen to? Which voice are you going, going to allow you to lead? Allow, allow to be led by, sorry. Which voice will it be? Not to mention, I, I don't have time to go into this one, but it also says that the devil led Jesus to Jerusalem to the highest point. Again, everything with the devil is, I'm gonna lead you to the high point. The Lord leads us to humility and submission, but here's a high point, to the top of the temple in Jerusalem. And notice the devil's like, oh, you want to quote scripture? Oh, that's how you're going to combat this? I'll quote scripture too, out of context. Devil starts using these tactics, using scripture. Oh, God's going to protect you. Just jump off of this temple. He won't let your foot strike, strike the ground. See, Jesus didn't fall for that trap either. And do you want to know why? Submission. Because Jesus knew that he wasn't in the wilderness to test God. Jesus knew that he was in the wilderness to be tested by God. That requires humility and that requires submission. All right. That's point number one. Point number two, formation. 
Second purpose of the wilderness is to form us. God intends to form us. And by form, I mean he wants to shape our lives. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Yes, God formed our physical bodies, knit us together in our mother's womb. But as we say yes to following Jesus, he intends to form your life and my life. He intends to shape us, to model, or to, to mold us into the type of people that he can use. So what's he forming us into? Well, the answer is simple. He wants to form us into the image of his son. He wants us to become more like Jesus, the type of people that he can use. A couple passages for you. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As we spend time with the Lord in the wilderness, as we gaze upon him and his word, and as we say yes to his plans in our life, we are transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Or, I love the simplicity of 1 John 4, verse 17. This is how love is made complete among us, that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. What a beautiful way to summarize that. That in this world, church, we can be like Jesus through the working of the Holy Spirit. So that leaves us with the question then of how how does he do this formation? Well, first of all, remembering what we just talked about, this is a pro process. It's not an instant thing. The devil offers in an instant, but the Lord asks us to submit to a process. And God will use the wilderness as a place to form and shape his people. Away from the noise, away from the distraction, away from the hurry, away from the illusion that we have control. We meet with God and he begins to shape and form us into the type of people that he can use. And this is a process that plays out over the span of a lifetime. So that leaves us then with this question. Or sorry, that leaves us then with this truth. Submission is required because we participate with God in this process. To be clear, God does the heavy work, okay? I truly believe that. I'm not teaching that now this, this rests on our shoulders and it's within our power to do, although we can do things by the power of the Holy Spirit. But God does the heavy work, the deep work of transformation. That's a work of the Holy Spirit in a place that humans can't reach. God does that transformation work, but we participate with God in a couple of ways. And here are two. Here are two ways that we can participate in this process. First, we participate by putting ourselves in the place where the work can be done. It's simple. I want to give you just an analogy to help you understand that. In the same way, if you require serious surgery of some sort, hopefully you're not going to attempt to do that yourself. And if that was your plan, please don't do that. Okay, you want to go, even, even a professional surgeon wouldn't do the work on themselves because they need to be put under, right? If you're going to have surgery, though, while it's the doctor that does the deep work, you submit to their venue. You don't call them up and say, hey, do you want to just quickly meet me at my house this afternoon and do the work? No, you bring yourself to their venue, right? 
You bring yourself into the hospital where the work can be done. And in the same way, God's venue for formation is often the wilderness. That's where he's gonna invite you to join him so he can do that deep work. Join me in the wilderness. Scripture calls it the inner room, the secret place. Whatever you wanna call it, I'm calling it the wilderness this morning. That's one way that we can participate. The second way that we can participate is by embracing a lifestyle, a set of practices. And baptism is just one of those practices. It's part of the way of Jesus, but there are many others that we can see throughout scripture, and I don't have time to go into them. But whatever it is, those are your spiritual formation tools and practices In this passage alone, what do we see Jesus doing? He's fasting, he's praying, he's meditating on scripture, he's alone in solitude with God, and there are many, many others. There's this quote that's often said, your system is set up perfectly to achieve the results that you are currently getting. It's the same in the life of a disciple. Your system, your structure, your set of practices, the way in which you Relate yourself to God is set up to get the results that you're currently getting. Yes, Jesus does the heavy work, but we adopt the practices. We in humility say yes, Lord, to the practices that are outlined in scripture. So here's the question. What results are you currently getting in your spiritual life? Is there evidence of God's work in your life? Are you becoming more like Jesus? It's not about perfection, but it's about direction. The structures that we live by will have a direct correlation on the form that we begin to take on. Our system will produce results. You see, formation isn't optional. Formation is a reality. You are already being formed by something. The question is, what is it that's forming you? Is it practices? Is it rhythms? Is it things that are submitted to God in humility saying, Lord, please, I set aside this quiet time for you, Lord. Shape my heart as I abide, as I read your word, as I pray. Are those the things that are forming you? Or is it escaping to something else that will just take the edge off of your busy day? See, we're all being formed by something. It's important to notice, note here that Jesus, what he's doing in the wilderness here is unique. So what I am not suggesting is that each person that has been, is getting baptized today now go and retreat into the wilderness for 40 days. I mean, it's getting cold out there. So I'm not suggesting that we literally need to take a 40-day retreat into the wilderness. But remember that this isn't the only example in Jesus' life where he retreated into the wilderness. I'm simply making the case that God is inviting you and I to embrace a practice of withdrawing into the wilderness, into the secret place with God, where we can be formed and shaped. So we gotta wrap this message up. We're about to get to baptisms, are you excited? I am too. But now to close, what does this have to do with baptism? Here's my main point again. Baptism is a significant moment in the life of a disciple, but it's not the end of the journey. And our big question is, well, what's next? What happens afterwards? And look at this verse again. We focus on this verse. It's called the Great Commission a lot here at at Southland. Jesus' great commission left to you and I 
is this. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. We are all called into the beyond. See, Jesus, he did leave that wilderness space and go into the beyond. He had a mission. Jesus lived his life on a mission. And you and I are also supposed to live our lives on mission. We are here on purpose for a purpose. Jesus didn't stay in the wilderness, although he frequently returned to it. If you're looking just for some good devotional reading this week, I encourage you to just read Luke. We've been reading chapters three and four. Go and read into chapters five and six, and you will see already Jesus made frequent visits to the wilderness. This was something that he did often. God had a mission and a purpose through Jesus' life, and God has a mission and a purpose for you and I. So to those getting baptized here today, can I just make one request? Don't settle for comfortable Christianity. Don't settle for formless Christianity. Just coming to church one day a week and then living the way that you feel is best. Choose to submit your life to the rule and reign of Jesus and ask him, what would you have me do, Lord? Where would you lead me? And what would you have me apply into my life? And that really goes for the whole church, not just for those getting baptized today. It is the wilderness that prepared and sustained Jesus for his public ministry. Jesus submitted himself to that process, and that's why he invites us to join him. So I'm going to close with, I left out, I intentionally left out one verse from our reading today. I want to read to you one last verse, Luke 4, 14. But note what it says, Luke 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. That's submission, that's formation. But note what it says immediately afterwards. Jesus returned to, the whole, uh, returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside and he was teaching in their synagogues and everybody praised him. Jesus came into the wilderness full and he didn't just find a way to survive, he found a way to thrive, and he left that place with something more. He left there with power. He walked out in the power of the Holy Spirit, not limping, not clinging to life, not, oh, I need to go and get a whole retreat from that wilderness retreat that I just had. That wilderness retreat did something to Jesus. He left there in the power of the Holy Spirit. He set his course to the mission that the Father gave him. And it is because of that that we have this great hope today. Baptism, where we identify with Jesus that he completed his mission so that we can engage in ours. That's the point. So I'm not just up here saying, here's a bunch of to-do things for Christians to check off, add more prayer, add more Bible reading, get into the wilderness, be more spiritual. I'm saying that Jesus himself modeled a way for us, a way that leads to life, a way that is infused with the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can get to the work that he's called us to, which is to reach the nations, to baptize believers, and to teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. 
passing through the waters of baptism, the door of humility. May we continue to live in submission and humility towards God all the days of our lives. And may we submit together as a body of believers to a process of formation, participating with God in the work that he's doing in our lives so that we may live pleasing and fruitful lives unto Christ. And lastly, may we live on mission with purpose in a world that so desperately needs Jesus. I'm gonna pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the truth of your word. Jesus, thank you for your love. And God, I pray that if there are those that are in this room right now that need to know your love for them, they need to know that you're not offering them a dusty set of do's and don'ts, a rule list. You're offering them a way of life that can actually lead to peace. Father, would you give them soft hearts to receive you? And God, would the baptisms that we're about to enter into now be pleasing to you? God, we want to identify ourselves with your life, with your death, and with your resurrection. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.